Hello, thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu institute. Good evening. I'm Nadia Sheikh. I'm the Vice Provost for Cultural and Research Engagement here at NYU Abu Dhabi. I welcome you here this evening to this talk by Dr. Cristina de la Puente entitled The Legacy of Al-Andalus, Material and Textual Sources. Al-Andalus is a term used uh, by historians to refer to a period when Muslim sovereigns ruled parts of the Iberian Peninsula. It begins in 711 with the arrival of a small Muslim force led by the Umayyad general Tariq ibn Ziyad and ends in 1492 with the conquest of Granada. However, the historical career of Al-Andalus does not abruptly conclude with the defeat in 1492, but continues to exert its presence. With the collapse of Muslim rule, the history of the peninsula proceeds along at least three pathways. The path of exile for Muslims and Jews. The second is that defined by the country's Christian European trajectory. And the third historical pathway is Andalusismo, a Mediterranean society entwined with Christian, Islamic, and Jewish cultural forms and bound, therefore, to the people and nations across the sea. In 2003, Maria Rosa Menocal published uh, The Ornament of the World, How Muslims, Jews, and Christians Created a Culture of Tolerance in Medieval Spain. This beautiful book, tries to undo the notion of the Middle Ages as a period of religious persecution and intellectual stagnation. Instead, Maria Menocal paints a portrait of Al-Andalus as a culture where literature, science, and tolerance flourished for 500 years. Combining the best of what Muslim, Jewish, and Christian cultures had to offer, Al-Andalus influenced the rest of Europe in multiple ways. The Institute's lecture series on the legacy of Al-Andalus aims to share the remarkable story of a unique time in history when Muslims, Christians, and Jews forged a common cultural identity that frequently transcended their religious differences. Stories of a time when these three groups managed to sustain relationships that enabled them to coexist, collaborate, and flourish. We are inaugurating the series on the legacy of Al-Andalus with Dr. Cristina de la Puente, a scientific researcher at the Department of Jewish and Islamic Studies at the Spanish National Research Council. Her expertise areas are history of Al-Andalus, Islamic religiosity in Al-Andalus, uh, Hadith transmissions especially, theory and practice of Islamic law with a special focus on social history. She has written extensively on these topics. Most recently, in 2022, she co-published Connected Stories, Contacts, Traditions, and Transmission in Premodern Mediterranean Islam. She is currently leading the research project Gender, Family, and Slavery, as well as another research project on Arabic philology. Thank you, Dr. De La Puente, for being with us. The floor is yours. Good afternoon. 
Uh, I would like to thank uh, the NYU uh, for the invitation and very especially my colleague Nadia Sheikh uh, for having thought of me to participate in this series of conferences of Al-Andalus. I like most, uh, I like most of my Spanish Arabist uh, colleagues work on Al-Andalus or on the Islamic West. There are several reasons for this. We Spaniards uh, perceive the history of Al-Andalus as an important part of our own history. This was very relevant from the second half of the 19th century, when the first chairs of Arabic language and history of Al-Andalus began to be created uh, in Spanish universities. As you all know, scholars often have to justify our existence especially in the fields of humanities. Justifying the creation of chairs of Arabic was easy if they were understood as positions related to the national history itself. I'll speak later about this uh, question because I think it's important. Uh, this has been an important reason for understanding our interest in Al-Andalus, but there is another more obvious one, proximity to the sources. The legacy of Al-Andalus is present in our lives, especially that related to the material legacy. But there is another textual legacy, less known to our general public, that has enormous wealth and which we can access with some ease. Uh, my goal in, the, in this paper is not to, to talk about the history of Al-Andalus. Other colleagues uh, will uh, do it in, in other uh, lectures. My, my goal is to make known where the main sources are to know the history of Al-Andalus, what characteristics they have, and to show what is the main contribution of Spanish Arabism to the study of Al-Andalus. With all the flaws it may have, it is currently not possible to undertake a study on the, of the literature, art, or history of Al-Andalus without being able to read Spanish nowadays. Although English is the usual language of communication today in the academic world, it was not until very recently, and in the case of Al-Andalus, the most relevant studies are written in French and Spanish. French Arabism has also shown a special predilection for the study of this region, of the Islamic world, and the reasons are uh, uh, related with our own reasons uh, to the Spaniards, that's the proximity to the sources. Um, between the year, as uh, Professor Sheikh uh, said, between the year uh, 711 and uh, 1492, part of the Iberian Peninsula constituted one more region within the Islamic world. Um, during the first centuries, Al-Andalus underwent a gradual process of Arabization and Islamization and received knowledge and sciences that came from the East. We, when we talk about Al-Andalus, we tend to think on um, um, Spain and Portugal uh, nowadays, but it depends on the year we are talking about. So that's the progress of the Christian conquest. So if we are uh, talking uh, about Al-Andalus in the year, for example, um, 1150, that's uh, Al-Andalus only 
the south uh, middle of the Iberian uh, Peninsula nowadays. There are two, two rivers which were the frontier for centuries, Duero and, and Tagus. Uh, if we compare these rivers with the northern European rivers or with the American uh, rivers, they are uh, uh, streams. But they were very, very important in, in history because they were the frontier. So we, and when we are talking, for example, uh, uh, about Al-Andalus in the uh, 13th, 14th, or 15th centuries, we are talking only about the provinces of Granada, Malaga, and Almeria nowadays. So this small corner of the Iberian Peninsula. So it depends of the year and of the progress of the uh, Christian uh, conquest. So when I saw the, the um, announcement of this conference, I, I saw the Al-Andalus, so the, the whole map. That was Al-Andalus, really, in the 8th century. <laughs> and and uh, um, so um, during the first century, Al-Andalus underwent a gradual process of Arabization and Islamization and received knowledge and sciences that came from the East. Pilgrimage to Mecca and study tours to the great centers of knowledge, Baghdad, Basra, Kufa, Damascus, or Cairo, made it possible for works written in the East to reach Al-Andalus. Andalusis, I prefer the word, uh, the word Andalusi than Andalusian because we, we don't have to confuse Andalusia, which is nowadays a region of Spain, a big region, but it's just a region than Al-Andalus which were in other centuries more than, much more than Andalusia. And when we think on Alan, uh, we, we can find uh, Andalusi art, for example, in the north of the peninsula, not only in the south. Andalusis themselves soon started not only to study, but also to create works belonging to a wide variety of young, religious sciences, Quranic studies, prophetic traditions, legal works, etc poetry, grammar, literature, and biographical dictionaries, as well as what were known as the science of the ancients, medicine, agronomy, and so forth. From the 10th century on, some cities in Al-Andalus began to be classed among the great focal points of knowledge in the Islamic world, while the productions of cities including Cordoba, Toledo, or Seville started to be exported uh, to the East. Al-Andalus gave to the Arabic world authors of high standing, some of them universals, such as Ibn Hazm or Ibn Rushd, uh, the grandson of uh, uh, for the Christians. Many works from that broad intellectual production are conserved in libraries all over the world and can be read uh, today. Works that had remained unknown or hidden away have come to light thanks to constant publishing work that began at the end of the 18th century and still continues in our times. In some cases, these Andalusi works provide the most important evidence for certain young in Arabic during the Middle Ages. For example, works of agronomy that were composed in Al-Andalus by authors such as Ibn Lawam, Ibn Basal, or even uh, Hajjaj, are unique pieces that let us known, uh, know the nature of food and agriculture in the Arabic world between the 10th and 14th uh, centuries. Along with this uh, written legacy, 
on agriculture, it should be mentioned that in some regions of Spain, an Arab influence is still um, perceived in gastronomy, for example, in the sweets that we eat uh, nowadays. The Spanish language has 4,000 uh, words uh, of Arabic origin. One of the most relevant lexical field of these Arabic words is agriculture and food. The textual sources are of great richness and extension. However, it is also necessary to point out that there is something that we are not going to find in Al-Andalus, which are documents, for example, royal or legal documents. The reason is that the Western Islamic world was not introduced to archives until colonial times in the 19th century. The few Andalusian, uh, Andalusian documents that have uh, survived belong to the last period of the Kingdom of Granada in the 15th century. Their survival is due to the fact that they fell into Christian hands and the Christians preserved uh, them. In, in exchange, historical chronicles and notarial manuals have been preserved that allow us to fill in, even if only partially, this lack. So in, 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 in Morocco, for example, the, there weren't uh, archives till the, uh, till the uh, uh, French occup uh, uh, occupation of the, of the country. And the first archives in the Islamic world were those of the, in, in Egypt of the Mamluk Empire and the Ottoman Empire. Therefore, uh, the, uh, the lack of documentation contrasts with the abundance of works written by the Andalusis. These works are mainly kept in libraries, although in Morocco there are still quite a few in uh, private uh, hands. Uh, although there are Andalusi works in the libraries of Berlin, Paris, L London, Cairo, Damascus, Rabat, Timbuktu, etc., Spain also houses some of the most interesting manuscripts, principally in three institutions located in Madrid and its province. The National Library, Library the Library of the Royal Academy of History, which is in the center of the city, like this one, and the monastery, the Royal Monastery of El Escorial, this one, I, sorry. This one, which is, I think, 60 or 70 kilometers far from, from Madrid. Um, the, most in, uh, the most important collection is the latter, so that of the Monastery of El Escorial. Not only because it contains the greatest number of Arabic manuscripts in Spain, but because it is one of the best collections in the world. The monastery of El Escorial was built by King Philip II in the 16th century to commemorate a victory of the Spanish Empire against France at San Quintin in 1557. The king was a great collector of ancient works and his collections grew due to the organized purchase of works and libraries. This task was always super supervised by the king himself. 
Year, years later, in 1612, during the, the reign of his uh, uh, son, Philip III, part of the Spanish fleet captured the ship in which the Sultan of Morocco, Moulay Zaidan, was sailing into exile, taking his library with him. The Sultan made the mistake of offering the King of Spain an extremely high ransom payment for his books, which made the King understand that their value was leading him to decide not to exchange them for captives and to keep them in his library. It must be remembered that in the 17th century was a period in Mediterranean history when there were frequent captures of ships, slaves, and other goods, along with the ransoms that were paid for them. I'm going to, I'm going to show you. This is the interior of the library of El Escorial. And in, if you visit the, the, this monastery, you have to visit the library and to visit the the royal pantheon because the, the kings of Spain are buried there. And it's very beautiful too. This is one of the manuscripts of El Escorial. That is the interior of the National uh, Library. And these are uh, uh, the kings, Philip II and Philip III. This is some of uh, the books of the, of the collection of uh, Moulay Zaidan of Morocco. We can understand perfectly that, they, that he wanted to pay a lot of money for the, for the books. <laughs> and I'm going to speak about this one now. <laughs> Meanwhile, a third of the contents of the Escorial Library owes a debt to another great collector. The Count uh, Duke of Olivares, this one, it, it was painted by Velázquez, Minister of King Philip IV, who created a large personal library during the first half of the 17th century, whose collections went to El Escorial on his death. These acquisitions do not tell the whole story, however. In 1671, part of the library was burned and some 2,500 Arabic codices perished in the fire. Today, around 2,000 codices have been preserved, containing works belonging to Old Young. In addition to the libraries, numerous uh, texts in Arabic are preserved in the archives. The Spanish have a habit of filing everything as happened in the Ottoman Empire. Many archives are preserved, local, provincial, provincial, and state. The archives of the cathedrals, for example, are very rich in this documentation and in others. The most relevant are the archive of the Crown of Aragon in Barcelona, this, this one, in the city center, in the medieval building, now they have another new building, this one. Oh, sorry. I, I always commit a mistake with it. Okay. Here. This is the new one, which is very ugly, as you can see. Um, this is the most relevant, one of the most important richest in Europe, the archive of the Crown of uh, 
There is another one, the Crown of the Arc, uh, Arc, uh, of Castile, which is, uh, is it, it is. Uh, we will we, we'll see it later. All of these uh, images are of the Crown of Aragon. This is a book in the in the archive of the Crown of Aragon. And I don't know where where ah yes I know. This is the, the National uh, Archive in, in Madrid, in the city. That's uh, some, some books. Uh, this, this archive contains an important collection of, of uh, Morisco, uh, Mor uh, manuscripts. I'll explain later what, is, uh, what kind of texts are. If you try to read it, you, you, you cannot because it is written in Spanish with Arabic letters. When the uh, 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 Arabic population uh, was expelled, they obliged uh, to convert to, to, to Islam after the Christian conquest in the 1492, uh, uh, the, the, the ex-Muslim ex community, theoretically, they, they converted. Um, they uh, began uh, to, to write in, in, in Spanish with uh, the, the Arabic alphabet. So, and we have a lot of uh, literature, which we call it Aljamia. It's very interesting. They wrote a lot of uh, religious books. And we don't know really why they, they do it uh, like this, because they don't explain it. One reason could be that um, uh, Christians uh, couldn't see that they were uh, Muslim uh, texts. Uh, for example, this, this book is a, a history of the uh, uh, book of Yusuf, uh, based in the in the Quranic uh, passage of the of the history of uh, the story of, of of Yusuf in the Quran. It would be a reason. Another reason is that they they were uh, uh, losing the language. They were losing the, their Arabic and speaking only the the second and the third generation. They were only speaking um, Spanish, but it was uh, uh, a part of their identity, the alphabet, and the, the, to remember their origins. And uh, we know that the conversion was not total, but that was one of the re reasons there were some rebellions of Moriscos in the peninsula. And in the year 1609, the, the King Philip III uh, um, expelled uh, them from the peninsula for forever. So, um, but uh, there are some collections of these books, and, and some of them are in the National Archive in, in Madrid. Another collection, which is quite interesting, is my, my research uh, center in Madrid. There is a collection uh, which comes from a little village in the north of Spain, in Aragon. Uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, uh, um, an Arabist from this region heard that the, the, the children were destroying some text, some written in, in very exotic uh, letters or Nobody could, uh, could, uh, could read uh, that. Then, then he went there, and it was uh, one of these uh, collections. And the, 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 the village is Almonacid de la Sierra. And now the collection is in my, my research. It all, all is digitalized. And I think that, that it was possible with the help of the, 
of the money of the Emirates or <laughs> you can uh, consult it, it on, online if, if you want. So the third, uh, this is in my, my library, Biblioteca Tomás Navarro Tomás, where I work. This is uh, another text. So you can read the first line, and then it begins. Uh, it's a, a mix of Spanish. And, and the, the, the third archive, which is quite important too, is the archive of the Crown of Castile in, in Simancas, in Valladolid, in the north of Spain. It's, it's inside this castle. Christian Castle. This is one of the texts, and the most important collection here related with the Arab uh, Islamic world are the letters of the uh, sultans of Morocco to the Spanish uh, kings. Um, the, the, the letters that the Spanish kings uh, sent to the sultans were lost because they didn't have archives, but all these the letters written by the sultans of, of, Mar of Morocco are uh, preserved in this archive, and some of them are, are, were published. Before examining the interest that these books and documents have, it is perhaps necessary to run back through the, some episodes in the history of Spain. After the conquest of Granada in 1492, Spain became a Christian Catholic country and Muslims who wished to remain on the Iberian Peninsula had to convert to Christianity. Known as Moriscos, is one who wrote this text, they were definitely expelled from Spain in 1609. The Moriscos forgot Arabic, but kept their traditions and alphabet. Manuscripts of theirs have been conserved, written in Spanish using Arabic letters a rich literature employing Arabic characters, which includes, for instance, many religious texts. With the expulsion of the Moriscos, the Spanish would no longer be able to read either Arabic or the alphabet. But that did not mean they forgot the past of Al-Andalus. Several monuments and remains reminded them of that past in different regions, not only in Andalusia some of which were located far to the north of the peninsula. Castle palaces called Alcázares in Spanish today, Arabic paths, walls, bridges, and mosques are still preserved today. So we can see some examples, some castles, there are a lot more. Alhambra is the most well-known palace in Granada. That is in the north of Spain. In, in Zaragoza, Aljaferia. This is the bridge of Ronda, for example, and the, the baths of, in, in the city of Ronda in, in the province of, of Málaga. So it, it was impossible to forget that the, the Arabs were there. In the 18th century, the Enlightenment brought with, with it an interest in the science and cultures of other countries to Europe. This included a curiosity towards technological and scientific advances. And the Spanish were aware that in another time, the Iberian Peninsula had been of special relevance in the science when under Muslim rule. Spain was not a stranger to the progress made in the Enlightenment, and its monarchs attempted to recover practices and pursuits that they knew had thrived 
um, in the Middle Ages, but were lost after the Arabs were expelled from the peninsula. The Spanish could no longer read Arabic, but knew that their libraries contained important text. They were conscious of the significance of these sources and of the Arabic legacy, which was not only present in their libraries, but in their art, architecture, gastronomy, etc. In that century, King Charles III, this one, asked a Lebanese Maronite monk who had traveled to Spain to make the first catalog of these works that nobody had been able to read for two centuries, but which had been carefully conserved. Kassidi, for, uh, that was uh, his name, made the first catalog, which was corrected and completed in the uh, 19th century by Hartwig uh, Derenburg in the second half of the 19th century. A minister of the same king commissioned the translation from Arabic to Spanish of the Book of Agriculture, Kitab al-Filaha, by Ibn al-Awam, a civilian author who lived between the 12th and the 13th centuries, considering it to be not only, the minister says, not only beneficial, but absolutely necessary to improve farming and animal husbandry in Spain. The translator of the book, Banchieri, finished the task in 1802, so 20 years later, when the minister had already died and the work could not be distributed among the, among the landowners, as had been the, his wish. But it has survived until the present day as a bibliographical treasure. So one of the the feelings more uh, more common feeling after the expulsion of the Moriscos was that the countryside was uh, abandoned, uh, partially abandoned, but because most of the Moriscos were dedicated uh, to agriculture. So and they knew a lot of techniques that uh, the, the, the Spaniards uh, didn't know. So the, the, the loss in, in, in agriculture was very important in, in, the, in the 17th uh, century because this expulsion. The 19th century is the time of European colonialism and Orientalism. On the one hand, of the incorporation of scientific methodologies within knowledge and other cultures and languages. Spain is not a great colonial power during this period, but by the second half of the century, it has growing interest in Morocco, which will be one of the reasons behind the interest in the Arabic language and a culture which it feels to be both very close and very far at the same time. In this time, in the 19th century, this is when professorships in history and philology are being created the most of the European universities, and in this Spain constitutes no exception. Spanish Arabists focus their interest on Al-Andalus because they have the, the written artistic and architectural sources very close at hand. On the other hand, in their universities, they are faced with a need to justify a specialization in both Arabic and Islamic studies. That is a very, a very minority pursuit 
and is initially perceived as exotic. They must compete with other philologies, such as the classical languages, Latin and Greek, or with the vigor of modern languages. In their defense, the Arabids argue that Al-Andalus is an important part of Spain's history, of our Middle Ages, and that in today's Spain, many traces of Al-Andalus survive. In a nutshell, they claim that Al-Andalus and Spain are one and the same thing. There begins to be talk of Muslim Spain. You can read a lot of books where they don't speak about Al-Andalus, but about Muslim Spain, as opposed to the Christian Spain of the Middle Ages. And Muslim Spain is characterized as displaying features that they consider intrinsic to the Spanish character. This is typical of the historiography of the 19th century. So the Andalusians were great people because they were Spaniards. So that's the, the argumentation of the, our uh, 19th century Arabists. This will bring <laughs> consequences for Spanish Arabism and Spanish historiography at the end of the 19th century and at the first of the 20th century. The Spanish are not alone in this quest. European, and in particular French Arabists, joined with them in their curiosity to know and make known Arabic Islamic manuscript collections and vestiges on the Iberian Peninsula. In outline, the history of Al-Andalus may be said to be marked by two idealizations. On one hand, that of the Spanish themselves, who consider it to form part, part of their past, and on the other, and of no less importance, that of the Arabs, who also see it as part of their glorious past, and having lost it, tend to recall its exploits, its sources, its smokes, and so on. Both parties forget that Al-Andalus was but one more region of the, in the vast Islamic empire, first of all Umayyad and then Abbasid, and that it did not much differ from other regions. It is true that the Andalusians gave marvelous buildings and thinkers of great importance to the world, but so also did other places in the Islamic world, such as Iraq, Syria, and Iran. It is still frequent today to find references to that idealization in the press of the Arabic world and in discourses by their politicians, which has also given rise to quite fascinating and beautiful modern lit literary pieces, including the poems of Mahmoud Darwish, for example, where Spain appears in a highly idealized form. But we, we, can, we can read a lot of... Uh, 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 a, a lot of discourses like this. One of the fam fam mo most famous was the uh, discourse of uh, President Obama in, in Cairo, where they were talking about um, the tolerance in, in Al-Andalus. So it, it was famous because he, he mixed Al-Andalus with in Inquisition, which is... Uh, uh, began late uh, uh, after the, the, uh, the expulsion of the, the Muslims, so it, it, it was crazy, this course, but the, the Egyptians were very happy because the, the, the main message was that the tolerance was typical from uh, Al-Andalus. So, and there is another topic that we can read every word to, that is that the, uh, uh, women were very free in Al-Andalus. 
they were so free, like in other parts of the Islamic world, and in, they made the leches. So to speak in the Middle Ages about, about women's freedom is, is curious. Anyway, but uh, to, but, but it's a topic. It's uh, and feminists in the in the Arab countries uh, use it very often. To it is possible because there was a time in Al-Andalus. Nobody can say it. It is not like this. Well, people uh, serious people d d did, but nobody read our books. So <laughs> after. This brief introduction to Al-Andalus, I shall very briefly explain and identify the works that have been preserved and wrote when they were composed. The wealth of, of Andalusian intellectual production is associated, uh, associated with a complex education system that has been well studied. Al-Andalus had no schools until the 14th century, uh, much later than in the East. But that did not mean that uh, young people had no access to higher education, or that they lay, were less prepared than youth uh, in other regions of the Islamic world. Well-off Andalusi families used to send their children to study with a school teacher, who they accompanied over a long period. He gave his classes in the mosque or in, the, in his house. They began by being trained in knowledge of Arabic, language, grammar, and calligraphy. And afterwards, or uh, simultaneously, in the religious sciences, Quran and its readings, the prophetic traditions, while they often received notions of jurisprudence. The predominant and almost only legal school in Al-Andalus from the 9th century until the final end was the Maliki school. Some, in addition, gained a training in the reading of poetry and literature. Boys and youth, when they, uh, they acquired a certain level, obtained from a particular uh, school teacher or from a number of educators, a license for transmission or teaching, the Ijaza which accordingly, accordingly enabled them to teach others what they had learned. Those who had a schoolmaster who had traveled to the East had the opportunity to make acquainted with works imported by him to the peninsula, and they contributed to disseminate them. Each pupil was in turn a copist, as they had to copy the works they learned in order to dictates them to others. So the system was very complex, but very. Uh, uh, it, it is one of the reasons we have so uh, good uh, collections and literature uh, disseminate uh, in, the, in the Western Islamic world without schools, uh, so physical schools. The first one is the, the Madrasa in, in Granada in the 14th century, and the, the building is, uh, is preserved and we can visit it uh, today, the, the, the building of the madrasa. This whole system of education is known about thanks to Andalusi biographical dictionaries that have been uh, conserved, and they stand out as a gem in medieval Arabic literature. From the 9th to the 14th century, we have documentation as to the nature of the intellectual production of Al-Andalus due to the biographical dictionaries. 
Each one is the continuation of an immediately previous work to the extent that we can state that there are no bi bibliographical gaps from all the, those uh, centuries. The authors have a dual intention, intention. On, the, on one hand, to document the names of Andalusian authors, their works and their transmissions, and more important, importantly, in order to know what the chains of transmission of the religious sciences are, so as to be able to make the change reach one of the ancestors, Salaf, the companions of the Prophet, or the Prophet Muhammad uh, himself. The authors offer us simple biographies in which they firstly provide the name of the biography, which is uh, information of great interest because it allows us to know his origins, whether he was Arab, Berber, if he came from a Christian family that had converted to Islam after the conquest, and similar. It also lets us know the geographical origin and other circumstances of relevance for the historian. The author then goes on to tell us who his teachers were, the works he studied, whether he composed any himself, and who his disciples were. We are also told if he made the pilgrimage to Mecca and if he resided for any time in any of the Eastern intellectual centers of his period, and who his teachers there were. It is really surprising to see the great mobility of the Andalusis, the ease with which they traveled to Arabia and to the Middle East by land and by sea, sometimes on a number of occasions in their lives. Lastly, he gives us an important piece of information regarding the date of his death, which enables us to properly place him within a change of uh, cultural transmission. The biographical dictionaries complement the historical chronicles, which also constitute rich sources in Al-Andalus, especially for the Umayyad period and for Nasari uh, Granada. The chronicles concept are, above all, palatine annals that allow us to know the main events of, events of the court. We even have a first-person account by one of the Taifa kings, kings uh, a king of uh, the Taifa of Granada, a wonderful autobiography in which he relates what occurred in his kingdom until, until he was vanquished by the North African Almoravids. An exceptional narrative that quite reliably takes us closer to the history of Al-Andalus. Naturally, there are always gaps given the urban and elitist nature of these sources. We know very little, for example, of what happened in the countryside or far from the important urban centers. We, we don't know anything about farmers, for example. And there, and, and there is a big discussion nowadays if the people in the countries were converted into Islam or not, uh, and in which moment. But it, 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 in this case, we move in the field of speculation because we could, we could never know, because we don't have sources. In the same way, we don't have real documents. 
Under this educational system, as might be expected, the first works that are composed dating from the end of the 8th and beginning of the 9th century are associated with the Quran, commentaries, works reading the seven readings of the Quran, works involving hadith and prayers, and several legal works. This production concludes in the 12th century with the great jurist Ibn Rushd, grandfather of the famous jurist, philosopher, and doctor Ibn Rushd, the grandson known in the West as Averroes. The grandfather of Averroes is celebrated for two large works, his collection of fatwas in two volumes and a 24-volume commentary on Otbit's missing 9th century legal work. In a later period, towards the end of the 12th century, other religious works began to be composed. Along with works dealing with prophetic traditions, we also find prayer treatises and ascetic texts, some of which are also mystical. Furthermore, in Al-Andalus, one of the most famous mystics in the Islamic world is born, Ibn Agarabi of Murcia, who studied there in his youth but soon left and eventually died in Damascus. Mystic literature will be of relevance during the 14th century and will have an influence on what is produced in North Africa. The splendor of Andalusian poetry has, uh, has its heyday in the 11th century, after the disintegration of the Umayyad Caliphate of Cordoba into small kingdoms, the Taifa kingdoms. The kings, in their courts, surrounded themselves with poets and competed amongst themselves to have the best ones. This was the time of Ibn Zaidun and Ibn Sahl. Even one of the kings, Al-Mu'tamid, was a recognized poet. This century saw the appearance of the author of the famous work The Ring of the Dope, Ibn Hazm, who was also an important theologian and a Zahiri jurist, whose legal, wor legal work is of much, in much interest due to its originality within a mainly Maliki context. In addition, Andalusis composed works pertaining to the science, the science of the uh, ancients, um, ancients, as the Arabs called uh, uh, medicine or astronomy and other sciences. It must, uh, it must also be mentioned that part of Arabic production in science and literature became known in Europe in the 13th century thanks to the interest shown by the king of Castile, Alfonso X, known as the Wise. In his capital, Toledo, he brought together several Muslim and Jews savants who translated into Spanish and Latin fundamental words that exercised great influence in Europe at the end of the Middle Ages and after that in the European Renaissance. The continual wars between Christian and Muslims did not stand in the way of a mutual admiration that enabled the transmission and dissemination of works to the other side of the border. Although coexistence between the three cultures of the Iberian Peninsula was, has been idealized, for neither was it always peaceful, nor was it characterized by the tolerance of any of the parties concerned. This uh, coexistence did make possible a fundamental fact, that of being well 
acquainted with the other, even when the other was considered to be an enemy. And of taking uh, from the other culture was what deemed best and most advantageous. During the first centuries, between the 8th and the 12th, uh, the Christians were aware that Andalusians uh, were far more advanced in the sciences, art, and other fields, and took from uh, them what they could even after the conquest uh, of territories. To give an example, the, the Christian monarchs had to, to work uh, for them uh, Muslim workers, and there is a, 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 a characteristically peninsular art that is known as Mudejar that does not exist in the rest of Europe. After the 13th century, it was the Muslims who began to take uh, from the West things that were unknown to them. And what was essential Andalusia started to be exported on a massive scale to the East. I have to explain just yes, the I, I come back to the, the other one. This is uh, some buildings of the period in Toledo of the period of, of and, and what that's, that is an image of, uh, the, of one of the books of uh, Alfonso the, the Wise, when, um, uh, two, uh, two players, and the, the, one of them is, is, is Arab, you can see. And so I, we, 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 we have to take it always into account we have different uh, types of population in the uh, uh, Iberian Peninsula in this period. And when we um, uh, talk about uh, the, uh, the art, for example, we have to distinguish uh, uh, which kind of population built this, uh, this art or made this art, for example. We can, uh, when we talk of Andalusians, we talk about the Muslims living under Muslim rule in their territory. There were the Mozarabs, they were the Christians living under Muslim rule in Al-Andalus, a minority um, uh, who uh, ha, uh, they have their own art too. Mudejas, they were the Muslims living under Christian rule in territories conquered by the Christians. So. They, they were there living and working for the Christians. And uh, they developed a very interesting art. I'm going to show you some pictures. And then the Moriscos, after the, the total Christian conquest of the peninsula, the Muslim populations who were still living for uh, one century in, the, in, in, in Spain. So, and Mozarabs and Mudejas developed their own art. That is the Mudejar, which is quite interesting. It is an example of buildings built by the Muslims for the, for the Christians, because the Christians knew they were the best uh, workers. So, and they did the, the, the most beautiful things in this period, so they were working for them. And this is the, the, the ceilings, for example, of, uh, this is typical. We can see it in a lot of cathedrals and churches in Spain. And there are different, uh, this is a church, San Martín in Teruel, or, and this one is in Quito, in El Ecuador, because we exported, with the Spanish conquest of uh, America, we exported this art to America, 
and it's very representative the uh, art modejar the modejar art in the, in 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 the Spanish countries of uh, Latin America. So, and this is an example of Quito, but we can find a lot in, per in Peru and in other uh, American uh, countries. And this one are two examples of uh, 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 Mozarab art. This is the, the churches uh, uh, built by the Christians in Muslim territory. This is in, in, in Leon, when Leon was part of, of Al-Andalus. And there are not a lot, of course, because uh, we, we only have Mozarabs in the, in the first two centuries of the Al-Andalus. But it's very interesting. If you see the arcade, the arcs, you can see the, the Islamic model perfectly in the Christian church. And they are very interesting because they are very old uh, churches. I'm going to, to finish. Okay. I, um, I shall wind up this conference by referring to the Spanish intellectuals who since the end of the 19th century have devoted their efforts to publishing, translating, and studying the Andalusian legacy. We call them the Banu Codera, so the children of Codera, because the first Spanish Arabists uh, to approach the Arabic Islamic world through a scientific approach was Francisco Codero, Codera, this one. And his disciples devised a system, this is uh, Julian Rivera and Miguel Asin, two disciples of Codera, devised a system for transcribing the Arabic language into the Spanish tongue that enabled the adaptation of Arabic to Spanish phonetics. At the beginning of the 1930s, a scientific journal, Al-Andalus, was funded And it was, uh, it's a bit dirty, the book, <laughs> it comes from the 30s. I didn't notice it when I took the photo. At the beginning of the, um, so, and it was published, and Andalus was published until the, in 1980, and since 1980, continued in the shape of another journal named Alcantara. Today, Alcantara is one of the most prestigious journals dedicated to Arabic and Islamic studies in in the world, specializing principally in the study of the Muslim West between the 7th and the 17th century. It encompasses all kinds of studies, linguistic, historical, religious, archaeological, and others, and publishes two volumes a year. And it's open access, so you can find it very easily. On the other hand, the foundation of the journal Al-Andalus was consequence of the foundation of the School of Arab Studies of Granada, Madrid, at the end of the uh, 30s, in 1932. Since uh, the second third of the 19th century until today, the efforts of philologists, art historians, archaeologists, and others in the field have continued steadily giving rise to plentiful results in the shape of articles and monographs. Spanish historiography concerning the Islamic West, and particularly Al-Andalus, occupies a frontline position in European studies in this subject area. Among other results, we should mention the collection Fuentes Arabico-Hispanas, which has been a CSIC publication. I, I showed the photo before. These are two books of the collection. 
which has been a, a CSIC, so the Spanish National Research Council uh, publication, since 1990, and to date numbers 33 uh, works. There are different universities in Spain where Arabic and Islamology are studied, two in Madrid, two in Barcelona, then Alicante, Granada, Almeria, Seville, and Salamanca. And despite the crisis and budget cuts, a substantial number of researchers devote their time to these studies. It is no longer necessary to argue in defense of the history of Al-Andalus. We, we, don't, we don't need to say it's part of our history. We know exactly what Al-Andalus is nowadays, because this work uh, thus has continued for more than a century, uh, has made the Spanish very aware of what Al-Andalus meant in their past, and they are increasingly better informed regarding its legacy. So it is solo, it is only, I only wanted to show just a bit of the rich legacy we have. I have shown a lot of books which are published and edited and studied, but in these libraries I have shown to you, you can find a lot of work to do. Uh, a lot of uh, unedited and unpublished uh, uh, manuscripts uh, which uh, deserve uh, attention and uh, scholarship. So thank you very much for, for your attention. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu institute.